Don't you understand? If you truly trust God and believe that all things work together for good, that means that your disappointment is God's appointment for hope. Your disappointment is God's appointment for hope in your life. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. When left unchecked, disappointment can lead to discouragement, depression, and ultimately despair. Today, David shares with us godly wisdom and practical steps that have helped him personally as he's faced moments of discouragement in his own life. Here's David in part two of a message called Disappointment. In verse one, he cries out, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on who? On me, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my transgressions, what I did wrong. Then in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Give me back my joy because I believe in hope. Then in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you'll not despise. God loves it when we're humble. He loves it when we own up to what we did wrong. He loves it when he says, when we say, create in me a clean heart, O God. It's my problem. Have mercy on me, O Lord. You realize it's a broken world. You realize not only do things happen to you, but sometimes you just make mistakes. You do things wrongly. But for goodness sake, folks, please don't cry out, that's not fair. That's what our children do when they have something bad happen to them. That's not fair. May I give you this insight? Fairness stopped in the Garden of Eden. Fairness ceased in the Garden of Eden. The moment this world had Adam and Eve rebel against God and sin entered it, all fairness stopped. Bad stuff happens, and we make mistakes because all of us have this disease called sin, selfishness, within us. That's why we need grace. That's the essence of the Christian faith, grace. The word that describes the Christian faith is grace. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We're rebels against a holy God, and yet he came to us in Jesus and died on the cross and took all of our rebellion, all of our mistakes, all of our failures upon himself, and then he gives us the forgiveness of our sins, not by our works, because none of us can ever work enough to earn that forgiveness. He gives us that forgiveness by grace, through faith, and the moment we receive it, our sins have been blotted out, and we are new creations in Christ, and therefore we can have hope. Hope that God's going to take our messages and make a message out of it. He's going to take our tests and make a testimony out of it because our God is a God of hope, knowing how broken this world truly is. So the first step that happens when we know we're the ones who've caused the disappointment, we admit it. Secondly, though, we quit it. We quit it. We repent. You know, don't you, that to come to faith in the Lord and receive him as your Lord and Savior must have repentance as a part of it. What is repentance? The best definition of repentance I've ever heard is stop it. Stop it. The behavior that's caused you to get into this mess, stop it. 
When you come to faith in Jesus, you receive his forgiveness from all of your sins, but then you want in response to that gift of forgiveness to stop the behavior that causes the mess to begin with, to stop the behavior that hurts his heart that you've begun. It would be like me hurting Marilyn and going to Marilyn and saying, I'm really sorry for what I did to hurt you, her granting me forgiveness, and then me continuing that which hurt her. What would she say to me? You weren't really serious when you asked me for forgiveness, and rightfully so. The same thing is true with us in Jesus. If we go to him and receive his grace and forgiveness, the next step is repentance. In response to the reception of grace, we repent of the behavior. We quit it. And then if restitution is needed, we go to the person whom we've hurt and we make restitution. How can that be done? Here's one practical illustration. A man came to me at some point and he said, I committed adultery against my wife. It's caused my marriage to break apart. What can I do now? That ship has left. She's met someone else. What can I do now? And I said to him, here's something tangible that you can do. Go to her and own up to what you did. Tell her and your kids it wasn't their fault. Because when a divorce occurs, often the kids think it was their fault. So go tell her and the kids, it wasn't their fault, it was your fault. And with the greatest humility possible, ask for their forgiveness. And I said, if you'll do that, what you'll find is it'll, first of all, heal her soul. As she's probably laboring under the sense of, I'm the one who did this. It's really my fault. And secondly, you'll set your kids free for a lifetime. Admit it. Then quit it. And then thirdly, Forget it. Forget it. Once you've messed up, you've caused a great life's disappointment, realize it's done. You can't unscramble scrambled eggs. Once eggs are scrambled, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. It's done. One of the things um, I've realized is Last night, uh, David's basketball career was over, and I, I sat there in the stands and I started remembering all the trips we've made together and all the times we've had together. And I found myself going, Lord, Lord, why all the injuries? I mean, you, you made him six feet nine inches tall. I didn't make him six nine. I mean, wh- why all the injuries? And one of his doctors texted me right after the game and said, I was just been a great ride getting to know your son. And he said, I know you're asking why all the injuries. And I went, are you reading my mail or whatever's going on here? And, and I texted him back and I said, you know, I am, but here's something I've learned in life. Don't ever add a question mark where God has placed a period. Don't ever add a question mark where God has placed a period. And he texted me back and said, or maybe even an exclamation point. I said, better yet. <laughs> better yet. If God has placed an exclamation point on something you've done in your life, stop asking why. It's done. And move on in hope with the promise that God has something better. Romans eight twenty eight is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It says, for I am convinced that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
Now notice, first of all, that's a promise from God. Secondly, it's just for people who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you don't love God and aren't called according to his purpose, you cannot claim that promise that all things work together for good. But if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, dear friends, no matter what disappointments come to your life, if you're willing to put it in the past, forget it, God gives you a promise that he is going to work it together for good. I don't know what God's gonna do with my son, but I believe with all of my heart that there's a good promise in store for him. And somehow God's gonna use all of these 15 years worth of injury after injury after injury when he pick himself back up and fall back down again that God's gonna give him a good blessing. I'm choosing to live in hope because that's the kind of God that I serve. All things, not some things, not a few things, but all things work together for good. Whatever disappointment you've been in through in life, put it in the past, put an exclamation mark there, move on and believe God's gonna work it together for good. So you admit it, you quit it, you forget it, and then finally you benefit from it. Don't you understand? If you truly trust God and believe that all things work together for good, that means that your disappointment is God's appointment for hope. May I say that again? That your disappointment is God's appointment for hope in your life. Now, obviously, if God loves you, anything that comes to you must first pass through his sovereign sieve. Mustn't it? If God is in control of his universe and you've placed yourself under his authority and you've said you've loved him, everything that comes to you or me must be permitted by him. That, that's what Jesus said to Peter at the Last Supper, remember? Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And the implication is, Jesus, and I've granted it. I've granted it. But then he says to Peter, but it's for the purpose of you then building your faith so that you can then build other people's faith. There's purpose in the sifting, Jesus was saying. There's purpose in what my son has gone through. There's purpose in your disappointments, folks. Your disappointment is God's appointment in your life for hope. There's something you'll benefit from in your particular pain. James 1, 2 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if you meet them, when you meet them. Because all of Jesus' followers meet them. Promise from his word. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, nobody likes it in the Bible, but it's true. God tests our faith. Why? What's the purpose of a test, folks? If you take a test in school, what's the purpose of the test? To make sure you know the material. That's the only reason for tests. The teacher wants to make sure you know the material. Well, God wants us to live in faith, love, and hope. And the only way he can ever know that is by allowing trials to come our way that test our faith, to believe that disappointments are God's appointments that can recreate hope within us. That's the whole message of what we're about to experience in a couple of weeks that the God of this universe lies dead on a cross. There was no hope. What a grave disappointment for all eternity. But what the devil didn't know as he danced the jig in hell was that on the third day, on the third day, the son would be raised from the dead. 
And that son would then give hope to everyone through resurrection life. Consider it all joy. How many of us are joyful when disappointments come? Again, what we do is gripe and complain. Why me? The Bible says have joy in it because we know the Father is in it. That disappointment is God's appointment for hope. Moreover, the Bible teaches that God is a refiner and overseeing the refiner's fire. Psalm 66.10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Now, what a silversmith does is he places silver with all of its dross in a fire. And then what's supposed to happen as the fire becomes hotter, the dross burns away and separates from the silver. And then the master silversmith makes sure the dross is forever separated and then takes the silver out. But here's something interesting in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 29 and 30. And in my own personal quiet time right now, I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah. It's fascinating. Because God's saying constantly through the prophet, if you don't repent, people, of all of your sin, I'm going to bring the judgment of the Babylonians against you and raise the city of Jerusalem to the ground. Jeremiah says it over and over again, and he's not the most popular prophet in the world, I can tell you. In fact, one of the things that goes on during his messages is there are other prophets saying, oh, peace, peace, there's just peace in the world. And Jeremiah was the only one saying, if you don't repent, God's going to bring these people against you. And it reminds me of today, so many people in America, especially even Christians, want to hear just a message of peace. Tell me about how God loves me. And God does love you. But this message is a part of the scripture too. It's not a popular one. And God says here in Jeremiah 6, the bellows blow fiercely, the lead is consumed by the fire, in vain the refining goes out, for the wicked are not removed. Rejected silver they are called, for the Lord has rejected them. Bottom line, sometimes in the refiner's fire, the dross is so stuck to the silver, it won't separate. And when that happens, the only option for the silversmith is to take the dross and the silver out and reject it. So so when God puts us in the fire, it's to get rid of that junk, that unholiness, that godlessness, that despair, that hopelessness, that sin that's in our lives. He doesn't want to be there. But here's something that's really cool, folks. When does the silversmith know when to take the silver out of the fire? When? When? It's after the dross has been removed, the fire continues to refine the silver, and the silversmith knows it's time to take out the silver when the silversmith can see his face in the silver. Don't you understand? God's goal for our lives, beyond just giving us lots of money and health and prosperity and all that, God's desire is to conform us to the image of Jesus. That's Romans 8, 29. Right after Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Then read verse 29. It goes on to talk about the process of becoming faithful to Jesus. And then the last phrase in verse 29 says, in order that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus leaves us in the fire so the unholiness is burned off, but he doesn't take us out until we're truly conformed to the servant-heartedness of Jesus himself. And he won't 
take us out until he's convinced he sees his image in us. So if disappointment's because of us, we admit it, we quit it, we forget it, then we benefit from it. But if it just happens to us, which sometimes is the case because we live in a really fallen world, what do we do? We continue to have hope. We continue to believe. Did you catch Isaiah 61.7? When the people are in the fire of the Babylonian captivity, what's the promise? What's the promise? The promise is I'm going to bring you back to the land and I'm going to give you double your trouble. I'm going to give you a double portion, a double blessing for all of the disappointments you've been through. Do you dare believe that? 1 Peter 3, 9, if someone's hurt you, don't repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with anger. Don't do that. You only exacerbate the problem and make it worse. No, when someone hurts you, respond with love. As you're called to do, bless them. And then as you do so, I'm going to give you a blessing. I'm going to bless you for being faithful for that's what I did, Jesus said. When people cursed me and reviled me, I responded by going to a cross. I responded with love. And look what the Father did. He blessed him by raising him from the dead. Believe that in your disappointment, there's hope. Your disappointment's God's appointment to give you hope. Double your trouble, a blessing still yet to come. Please, above all else, just keep moving forward. Don't stay stuck. Don't shake your fist at God and just be angry. Don't drive your life's car while looking in the rearview mirror. If you just do that all the time in your regular car, you're ready for an accident, aren't you? Drive looking ahead, moving ahead. Don't stay stuck and believe in the God of hope who uses our disappointments as his appointments Believe it. It's true. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio continuing our conversation about Davidisms. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being here today. It's great being with you too, Jen. This week, we've been taking a deeper dive into phrases and statements that you call Davidisms. And I love the one that you're going to talk with us today about because it comes with a sense of adventure. You say, boats aren't built to stay in the harbor. Can you tell us what you mean by this one? Yeah, this is a teaching I learned long ago on combating laziness because laziness can cripple the human experience like nothing else. Hmm. So let me remind everyone today that boats aren't built to merely drift in a harbor. They're not built to stagnate, floating around in calm waters. Instead, boats are built to go out into the sea, a sea that at times can be turbulent, at other times tranquil. Does this sound like your life, listeners? As Christ followers, we have tough times, we have great times. It should, because that's the reality of our lives. Mine too. Consider why boats are constructed They are constructed to be strong and durable. They're engineered this way in order to withstand the water, especially turbulent waves, dangerous storms, severe lightning strikes. The strongest boats of all are able to survive even a hurricane. Why? Because it's only in the waves that the boat is tested when the purpose of the boat is fulfilled. The same is true for our lives as followers of Jesus. James 1 verses 2 through 4 makes that very clear. It's only in the trials that faith is tested and then seen as strong by God himself. Here's the point. You weren't made to play life safe, to be lazy, to stay in the harbor. You were made for the sea, for so much more, for that which can't be found without venturing into the unknown. God's purpose for you is in the world. And while it may include stormy seasons, it's in and after the storms where life's true meaning is found. Let me say it again, Jen. Boats aren't built to stay in the harbor. They were created for the high seas. Wow, this is so good. And it, it you know, it ties into a, a Davidism that we spoke about recently about building others up and encouraging others. And I feel like for some of us who don't feel very safe stepping outside into risky new territory, maybe just offering a word of encouragement to someone that just feels like, oh, I'm stepping out here, coming out of my harbor. Yeah. You know, Jen, one of my favorite stories has to do with Jackie Robinson, who is the black man who integrated Major League Baseball decades ago. Uh, He underwent all kinds of racial slurs and being put down and segregated from the other players on his team. He was about ready to give up. And one time when he was on third base, he was thinking about trying to steal home. But then all those voices came into his head about how bad he was, how ugly he was, what a bad person he was. And then he heard a little kid right behind the dugout on the third base side start yelling to him, you can do it, Jackie. You can do it, Jackie. You can do it. And then he decided to try to steal home. And it's one of his most famous stories where he stole home, something that's not often done in baseball. Mm -hmm. He later said, 
he was ready to give up, but what kept him going was the voice of that young boy behind the third base dugout saying, you can do it, Jackie. Wow. So how strong are our words of encouragement, Jen, to get us out of the harbor and go into the high seas? They are very important. Very important. Very powerful. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can receive these daily written moments of hope from my heart to yours free of charge. Just subscribe there, and they'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from a series called Heartbeats from our online worship service. You can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly HopeCast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the students in our school system. 